Father, we're coming into your presence as a family, as we just learned. And as a, as a family, we're all coming before your throne. And Father, we want to ask you, I want to ask you specifically to allow the Holy Spirit to move in this room. And move in a way that has not moved in, in years here. Father, if need be to, to show us that shape this room. Father, I know that scares some of us pretty bad. But Father, we just ask you to allow your spirit to move in such a way that we can get through the heart crust around our hearts, get, get into glory. And help us to learn and take home lessons that will make us be a more, more effective family of yours, more effective people that are representing you and showing the love, your love, your son's love to the rest of the world. Thank you for allowing Carol and I to be able to come up here and, and talk to this wonderful group of family members. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. For those of you who don't know who we are, my name is Lynn Stringfellow. This is my wife, Carol Stringfellow. I'm going to do my very best, because some of you do know us, uh, to, to be able to get a word in edgewise occasionally. Uh, so if, if occasionally you see me start talking right in the middle of where she's talking, it's not rude. It's just it's the family thing. It's the way we have to work in order for me to uh, get to speak. So I'll get to say a few words. <laughs> How many of you in here are tired? Raise your hand. Tired? What are you tired for? I heard most of I got it. I heard most of the Tallahassee group, the drive It's a real toughie, I know. That's why they're also the last ones here. I don't know if y'all noticed that or not, but yeah, I got such a distance to drive. It takes a while to get here, guys. I mean, give them, give them credit. I'd be tired too if I had to drive all that distance, right? You? I don't know where you want to pick in there. Okay, so uh, when they when we came up with this topic for teaching at a family vacation, they're like, who would we get to talk about being tired? And the old people were chosen. Are you surprised by that? Because <laughs> typically uh, we believe that the older that you get, the more tired that you are. But we want to talk to you guys, you young guys, younger than us, because you say you are tired all the time. Um, if we say good morning, I'm tired. We say good night. I'm tired. We say it's time for lunch. You say I'm tired, and and there is a pervasive, chronic condition that is being perpetuated by this culture, and there are some things about that that are wrong, and that there are some things about that that are normal, and what we want to help do is distinguish between those two. Okay. Um, there's a difference between being tired and being fatigued. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Um, everyone, all human beings, have a reaction to being tired. Okay, let me uh, raise your hand if you identify with this reaction: cranky, difficult, angry, noisy. Okay, now yeah, your hands raise your hands. <laughs> Raise your hands if you have this reaction, withdrawn, shut down, sullen, okay? Now, do you see that every one of us, we do react to being tired. And if we, these reactions that I just described, they are not godly reactions. They are not the reaction that God said, yeah, it's going to be hard. And so I want you to be cranky. And I want you to be difficult and angry. Or I want you to back out and be, be done with everyone and, and be sad and blue because you're so tired. Okay, This is not what God had in mind. Interestingly enough, in John 4, 6, Scripture says, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. It wasn't 2.30 in the morning after a full day. This is lunchtime. And Jesus himself is tired. 
Okay, so there's there's a message here that tired, there is a way to be tired. And it is not sin. It is not uh, taking everyone out who's within 10 feet of you, okay? But yet, tired is to be experienced. And we also see in Matthew 23, 37, where Jesus says, Jerusalem, 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 you killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing that's a Jesus is expressing an emotional tire here. <laughs> He's like the savior of the world. He's perfect and he can't even convince his own children to listen to him. That's exhausting. And if you are if you are active in ministry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you are probably you probably go a ways where you deal, you deal, you deal, you deal, you deal, and then bam, cranky, difficult, angry, withdrawn, sullen, I'm done. Okay, you hear those words come up your mouth. But that's, that's not what Jesus did. That's attractive to the world. <laughs> so we're just pointing out, hopefully, that the way that we that the way that the world does it and the way that we have unfortunately adopted is is leading us to burnout. And we, it's easy to say, easy to understand that God does not have burnout in our future. He has something to prosper, okay, a hope and a future. So burnout is not God's plan. If that's, what you, if that's where you're at, that is not what God intended. Okay, and we want to look at what he has in mind. What we're going to try to do is examine, examine how we have defined tired and examine biblically and examine it practically to look at the difference to look at what it should should be and what it is she talked a lot about what it is already uh, we'll cover it more look at 2 Corinthians 3.18 get it up there oh yeah. good good luck reading it uh, and we all who with veiled unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit being transformed into his image guys I don't know if you get what that means let that sink in a minute just a second Take the commas out. Take the part where the comma is at. And we all, forget the what comes after the first comma, and just go to are being transformed into his image. Let that get into your brain for a second. Every one of you are in the process of being transformed into Christ's image. Now, I know I'm talking to an audience at age bracket-wise. When we say things like that, when we start talking about a process, going through a process, uh, being transformed, your mind thinks minutes. I'm going to go through this transformation process, and it shouldn't take more than what should already be done. Done. And that, that's where your mind goes, and that's the generational thinking that you have. And I'm not, I'm not putting that down. I'm just identifying the difference between. Well, let me give you an example. Uh, some of you know Clint Hill. Clint's, Clint's uh, you'll hear him speak if you if you don't know him. Clint's one of the ministers in, in Tulsa. Uh, Clint and I will be having a conversation, and he'll be talking about the time when he was doing something. I don't know what it would be. Maybe when he was on Broadway. But Clint was on Broadway. Uh, he'll be talking about the time he was on Broadway. And he'll say, oh, man. Man, we were on Broadway, and, and we were doing this, we are doing that. We, we did that for so long. And in my mind, okay, because I'm an old guy, okay? That's when he right. says, that's right. When he says a long time, you know, I'm an old guy. I think a long time. Like years. five years. You know, they were doing that. He was on Broadway for five years. 
Are you doing that? And I have to stop and go, wait a minute. That's a millennial. That could mean two weeks. <laughs> so I have to stop being a second. And you said a long time, what did you mean? Well, you know, we, we did that probably, probably, you know, for, well, that week's performance and then, the, okay, okay. Now go ahead with your story because I have to reframe again in my mind what you're talking about when you say long time. I worked on the railroad, Clinton, say, for a long time. Again, 10 years, five years, I start putting these stories together, what he's living, what he's done. Well, wait a minute, that had to be, you know, six, six months or a year or something because to him, that's a long time, right? Being transformed, you, I, every one of you, are in the process of something that is incredible, more than your mind and my mind can comprehend, of being transformed into Christ's image. And that transformation process is not going to happen like that. Salsa group was driving here on their way to get here. They'd come to further, further distance. And they got stuck because there was a huge wreck. Somebody turned over and all that because of the ice. And they got stuck and had to sit in their vans for three hours. I heard three hours and I heard four hours. So I don't know what the truth is. Okay, 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 okay. Somewhere between three and four hours. Okay, and I'm hearing it from that generation, so it could have been 15 minutes. But, uh, <laughs> but, but honestly, what I'm trying to, what I'm, what I'm trying to make is, I was texting with, with people back and forth and hearing, you know, the comments to me and how well some of the crew were doing. And to give y'all credit, the, the drivers and all the people were saying y'all really were taking it well. And but I was texting them back saying, look, this is a character building moment. This is something evidently God decided they needed to be going through. And if there's anything that this generation needs to learn to go through, is character building times. And four hours, three hours, whatever it was, it's a pretty short character building time when you start to consider. Talk to any of the ladies that have had a child. A little bit longer than three or four hours. Go ahead. So I took a lot of your time. Yeah, I'm going to be rude and I, interrupt you. You should have. Um, the word transformed, sometimes we make it a church word where the only re, only place we ever use it is at church. And it is so integral, and it's so it's hard for our minds to wrap around exactly what it's talking about and what it should look like, what it's going to do to us, what this incredible process is going to do to us. And some of the reasons... Okay. Some of the reasons that you struggle with it or you even like avoid it in, in your mind is because of what all it involves. Transformation is going to involve change. How many in this room love change? Okay. A minority. Okay. Change is hard. That's why you don't like it. And it involves stuff that you don't know what's going to happen next. And you don't like that. And so it, that makes you tired. But change is got, has got to happen. It has got to happen. If you want to be a part of this incredible process, change is going to happen and it has to happen. And so we need to look at change with a more open mind. Whatever that takes for you. Whatever your reaction is now to change, consider ways. Consider new reactions. Talk to people who have gone through extensive change. How did you do it? How, what, how come you didn't like fly apart at the seams, okay? Because you've endured it, okay? That's why they got old people to come talk to you about being tired is because we've experienced a lot of change. Not all of it was good, not all of it was happy, not all of it took us where we wanted to go. A lot of it did because we knew that it was about God's incredible process. And so we were able to endure the tired. People, people make you tired, okay? There's no way around it. We're all messy. We're all irritating. We're all human. It's part of the transformation process. When you're in God's kingdom, you're going to be working with people. Just like Mackie just said, it's not ever built to be done alone. And so people are going to make you tired. Energy. 
Or how many are introverts? <laughs> how many are extroverts? Okay? If you're an introvert, you regain your energy by being alone. If you're an extrovert, you regain your energy by being with people. Okay? If you are in either one of those down times, or, or if, if you're an introvert having to be forced to be with people, and if you're an extrovert having to force be to be alone, you're going to get tired. But that is the process, and it's normal. The purpose, which we're talking about all weekend long, okay? Our one purpose, it's, it's grand. It's huge. It's so big, it's going to make you tired. And that's okay, all right? It, it, that is the normal tired. That's the godly tired that we want to mm, break open and be able to face instead of just thinking that life sucks and I'm going to be tired all the time. Yep, I'm looking to see where you... Are you going to go to there? <laughs> That's you. <laughs> <laughs> your, your page is different than mm. mine. Okay. I'm the introvert. He's the extrovert. Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians 4. Yes, 4.1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, what ministry is it? You heard him talking today. God's ministry. And that means all of us, this family, we have his ministry. We do not lose heart. Man, how many times have you been in the middle? Those of you that are active in ministry and working and reaching out. How many times have you have you just, you know, I studied with that person, I studied with that person. And, and they ended up not wanting to be baptized. And I studied with this person over here, and they did get baptized, but then they went off and went back to their smoking dope, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like a dog. This back to his bone, it says. I knew you. When something like that happens, you begin to lose heart. You know, it hurts, doesn't it? But it says, we do not lose heart. But, but we do. But maybe we shouldn't. Look at Hebrews 12, 3. That us, oh, that is yeah. Consider him who endured such opposition. Who's the him? Christ. Such oppositions from sinners that so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So how's he how's he gonna keep from growing weary and losing heart? Consider your right. Considering him who endured such opposition from sinners. So what's that? So what's the practical application of that? When I start wanting to start losing heart over something like we just talked about, what should I do? Think of Christ. Thinking of somebody else who went through it can help me get through it. Hebrews 10:39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We do not belong to those that shrink back. I can't tell you how many times with the young men that I deal with in our ministry that I'm having to come up to them and talk to them, sometimes privately in an encouraging way, and sometimes and not so private, encouraging way. Sometimes right out in front of other people because they just keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. And I have to come up to them and gently prod and say, fuck up. Take a stand. Quit. <laughs> I got to watch. Be a man. How's that? Is that kind of enough? There's a few of men in here who could probably tell you what I would normally say to them. Because we are expected, if you read these scriptures, we are clearly expected to keep up and push forward. That's what is expected of us by the head of this body. Christ the King, the head of this body, this family, the expectation is we are supposed to push through. That's right. We're, we're not supposed to be the people that shrink back. We're not supposed to be the people that fall apart 
every time something happens, oh, my girlfriend broke up with me. Oh, my gosh, my life is over. I'll never be able to live again. I'll never see another woman. I'll never, I don't ever want to. What's your name? <laughs> 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 this is true. They're all fired. They're going to die, and five minutes later, they've got another girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not supposed to be the people that fall apart. We're supposed to be the people the world looks at and goes, Your grandfather died. How do you do that? Because I know how close y'all were. Yeah. How are you getting through that? Because I see you getting through it. How are you doing that? Because I don't know, because I can't, I can't answer. See, that's what we're supposed to stay strong, aren't we? That's who we are expected to be. I hear so much talk about burnout, especially from the generations we're reaching out to now. They get burnt out because they got tests next week. I look back on that, my brain just, how can you be burnt out over a test that's next week? I mean, it's, what? Burnt out? How do we keep from getting burnt out? My younger sister uh, saw what I was doing in ministry after about five years in the ministry, and she came to me really concerned. Because I don't know if you know if you know your campus minister, uh, most of them work 65, 70 hours a week. Most, some of you that are around them really do, do know that. You see it happening. Some of you have no clue. I get it. But those of you that are close enough to me, it, they work that hard. She saw me doing that, working those kind of hours, and aging as I was, and am. Uh, she said, I, I want to talk to you because I'm concerned. You're going to work now. I had to stop and think about that for a second and say, wait a minute. I haven't experienced at this point any burnout. Why not? And then it hit me. I knew why not. And since that time, I've been in ministry now 20 something years, never experienced burnout. I don't think I'll ever experience burnout. Is that attractive to you at all? You want to know why I never explained, I never experienced burnout? We never experienced burnout? And what I had to tell my younger sister? When you're involved in fighting for somebody's soul, not not the earthly life. Oh, you're you're hungry. I'm gonna fight for you. I'm gonna get you some. I'm gonna McDonald's get you some food. Okay, that's one thing. That's social justice, and that's nothing bad about it. Don't, don't take what I'm about to say get off into a wrong area, as we do all of our politicians. You know, let them say boo, and we go, oh, the old oh, should have been at the end. Don't go that direction. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with buying buying a homeless person a meal. Okay. I'm saying when you're involved in fighting for somebody's eternity, what's going to happen forever? And you win that battle? There is nothing on earth more exhilarating than that. I don't know what you're chasing. I don't know what it is you think that's going to be more exhilarating than that. But I'm telling you right now, you ain't never going to find anything more exhilarating than that. I've been involved in enough of them now that I have this energy built up behind me that I keep pressing on to the next one because the next one's going to do the same thing. And the next one's going to do the same thing. And the next one's going to do the same thing. And it just keeps. It's like a tidal wave. I'm going to ride it right on out to the day they put the nail in. And the guy driving the nail is going to say, by the way, do you know who Jesus is? Because that demon is fighting you. And he's driving the nail. That's my goal. Because that's what gives me energy and keeps me from burning out. And I contend that will happen to every one of you if you stop thinking about being tired. Stop thinking about why I'm not being tired. Is it because I'm not on a mission? Or is it because you see the difference? You're not going to burn out when you're in his heart. Because he gives you the energy that you need. And I'm just described that energy. I'm going to take one more second. Wes Real came down to train. Y'all don't know Wes. Some of you don't. You get to know him here. Uh, came down to train with us when I was in the temple ministry. And he and I were in this big argument about how high, how, the high he loved to get when he was on drugs. And he talked about how high he loved to get when he was on drugs. And how he loved that and he kind of missed that. And he wasn't really involved in the ministry. He was just there. I won't go into the long story of why he was there at the time. But he and I had this big argument earlier in the day. 
about that high he was describing. And I was telling him there's a better, there's a bigger high. Well, that night we had a baptism of the young lady we had been fighting for for months. I mean, fought hard for. She had some bad stuff up there. And we baptized her. And I, he was back at the back at the sound booth because he wouldn't have anything to do with us 30, 40 people down there being involved in the baptism being excited. I came down from where we had baptized the young lady right up to his face, pointed my finger right in his face and said, that's a high you'll never experience with And now he tells that story from a different point of view because he now experiences that high from, from the same point of view. There ain't nothing like it. It's eternity changing. We'll talk about eternity more in a minute. Go ahead. Took okay. Your James 1, 2, 4. 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I know that a majority of you are in school and you are facing and faced last semester uh, like a whole gamut of tests, different kinds. And you have the one kind of test where, you know, the, the information is like shot at you and you've got to like cram it in and then you've got to have to spit it back out on the test. That's a test. But that's not the kind of test that James is talking about here. And that's not the kind of test that should be making you tired. The kind of test that should be making you tired would be like taking the bar. Okay? Wes is an attorney. And he and we like he was in our ministry while he was approaching taking the bar. It took months, and it took intense focus, and it took like prioritizing in a in a way that made school look like you know that was no big thing. I've forgotten everything I took in school, but this test had to do with his career, and so now when it matters. We look at testing in a whole different frame. We, we, we get everything in place that needs to be in place. We get our mind, our heart, we get our family to surround us. We prayed over him before he wins. Uh, you have to wait for the outcome. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. Okay? But it produced the goal that he was working for. And as Lynn just described, the goal that you are being tested for that is going to keep you from having burnout that's life that is life happening to you the trials the thing that you call hard now i guarantee you that this you know i'll give you a little tip here what you call now hard now in five ten years you're going to laugh that you call that hard okay in five ten years for us we're going to laugh at what we call hard today, okay? This is, this is what going through trials, this is why it produces perseverance. And we, none of us like being tested. None of us are like, I want to get, please sign me up, okay? Nobody does that. But yet, when our, when our heart and our mind are understanding why, what the goal is for the testing, then we, we embrace it. And we get our stuff together, and we face it, and we, we accomplish it. And, and that's a different kind of tired. That's the godly tired that you're supposed to be when you're working on his goal. I was trying to think of an application, practical application to this. And, and the first thing that came to my mind, I'm trying to remember what was the first time I had learned from experience what she's talking about. And, and then I remembered a time I learned it, and I didn't learn it at the time it happened, but looking back on it, I now process it and go, that's exactly what she's talking about. This it's taking a long period of time to get something down to the point that it that it plays out. Some of you know that I was an amateur professional fighter. But way back, way, way back when, uh, I was still an amateur and, and young, I had a coach, this guy, sorry. He was killed with a boxing team flying to, to a tournament. And I was supposed to be on a plane, and the plane crashed and killed the whole team. And he so when I talk about it, it gets me. I didn't realize it was going to get me just now. Sorry. Uh, anyway, he was incredible. He was an old guy. 
if you saw the movie Rocky, any of y'all saw the movie? He was very much like that old guy in the movie. He was very much like Nick. He was old, he was feeble, he was, but he had so much knowledge about the fight game that it was just incredible. And he spent, he got with me, and, and I was a fighter, you'll laugh at this, but I, I didn't like getting hit. <laughs> okay? So when I started in the gym, before I got to work with him, uh, oh Jim, before I got to work with old Jim, I had to work with some of the other coaches, and sorry, I, just taking you way back. Some of you would know this, some of you wouldn't. There was a fighter called Joe Lewis. Anybody know Joe Lewis? Real old time, long time ago. Well, they made me learn to fight like Joe Lewis, and that was put your hands up, take a step forward, go jab, take a step forward, go jab. Next time, take a step forward, go jab, right hand. And then take a step back to a jet. And that, that was the style that they had me learning. I lost like, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I probably lost my first 25. I'd get hit. <laughs> and I didn't like being hit. So I went to the fourth. Bam, I'm going to get hit back. Bam, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to lose a bunch of fights before I, before I got to old Jim. And old Jim says, they're teaching you all wrong. <laughs> what do you mean? They're teaching you all wrong. You don't like to get hit. No, not at all. I don't like it at all. He said, well, what you need to do is move around. Like Sugar Ray Leonard. Not Leonard, but it's when you know, Ray Robinson. Long before that. <laughs> you need to move around, bounce, move. And if somebody punches at you, move out the way. Don't let them hit you. Go through the fight and not get hit, then hit them. And I was like, I like that. <laughs> I do that. So, well, I'm telling a long story, but but to get to it, what I had to go through was spent a lot of time moving the entire fight. Because back then you didn't fight four and five rounds. You fought you fought ten and twelve and fifteen rounds. And I had to spend a lot of time learning to get in great shape so that I could be moving the whole time. So when I got to a punch of me and all of that, because I didn't want to get hit, I wanted to hit him two or three times in that day out of the way. Well, that developed a problem because I didn't have any power shots. Because it got hurt, and I was just, ah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get hit. He might fight and all of a sudden hit back and won't get hit. So the so Jim started working with me. And over a long period of time, when I say long period of time, y'all already been heard me talking. I mean, I mean like a year of training. He started working with me with a focus mitt. We worked everything out some focus mitt time. And then it was a timing drill. Every time he threw his right hand up, right pad up, I had to throw a right hand. So no matter where I was, no matter where I was in the process, no matter what I just thrown, at, I had to plant my feet, transfer my weight for leverage, put a right hand in his hard left foot. Time that right hand perfectly when he threw it up. I would fall. He'd do it, I'd have to try it sparring every time. He'd plant my feet. I didn't like planting my feet because then I'm standing still and he can hit me. But I don't like that, because <laughs> I might get hit, I don't want to get hit. But I plant my feet, I throw a right hand. So then I get in sparring, and we'd be working, hitting, hitting, throwing combination. Plant my feet, throw a right hand. And I get hit. So what would I do? Quit doing it. <laughs> Go back and moving around again, trying to get on points. You know, keep doing it, keep doing it. So it took them a year of working me constantly, every single practice, timing the right hand. So finally in the fight, I had my first ever knockout. I timed it perfectly and caught him with the right hand. The shock wave went through my whip wrist, went through my elbow, went into my shoulder, and I saw him drop. And from then on, I was sold. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that See, so any other fight I had ever won, I won on points. That one. I totally dominated him and put him on the ground out and felt that feeling that can't be duplicated in any other way. I started running that photo right hand for a time and became known for it. But it took time to get, I had to persevere through all of that testing to get there, right? We have to persevere 
through all of this testing to get there. It takes longer than 15 minutes. Go ahead. Okay. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward good, on love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more you see the day approaching. Um, all my life, this was used as a scriptural text for not skipping church. <laughs> and I'm so sad that I spent so long only viewing it that way because what I have been blessed and privileged to be a part of is real community that can't not be together. Louder. Can't not want to be together. They want to know each other. They want to talk. They want to share. They want to help they want to be together, and that is a fatigue buster. If you have ever done it all by yourself, then you know you burn out and you gave up. But if you do it in an authentic community, everything changes. And this is what the Hebrew writer is telling us. Uh, hear it from his heart, and hear it from our heart when we talk about how we how important the mission of Christ is for the world and for you. It's kind of like what what Mackie was saying. You can't, you can't do this on your own. And when we get to look different than the world, when we stand out, not because we're arrogant or prideful, but because we are different, because we are real and we are changed, we're transformed, that is something, if, if, I don't know if y'all have figured out what you're going to do, but if you pick that, if you pick that as your life goal, let me be a person who makes a difference for the kingdom of God, you're going to be energized. You're going to, you're going to love it. You're going to not be able to not do it. And this is, will you get tired Yes, but you won't be alone, and you won't burn out. And this is something that we have to redefine as far as when, how we look at being tired. We're not supposed to do this alone, guys. We're not supposed to be Lone Rangers. And there are far too many people in too many ministries that are part of this giant family that we just discussed that I see and hear about from other ministers that they're having to try to help get out of that Lone Ranger mentality. We can't do this as long range. You've got too many people around you that can help you. God designed it that way on purpose for us to be able to work together. Because if I go out and start trying to talk to this young man, and he's going to totally ignore me. I'm an old white ball guy. You don't want to do with me. Right? Or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can read it down. Or you can set on the front row. It's a danger. It goes the same thing. If you can't go out there and go rancher it, or we have now, I can play a small role in it in what's reaching him right. through someone else that's reaching out to him, through someone else that's reaching out to him, someone else, and someone introduces him to me and says, hey, you know, he used to be in the fight game. Well, he's interested in the fight game. This will have some conversations talked about. I can play a small role in it, but I can't Lone Ranger it. I had to learn this lesson growing up because Lone Ranger was, to me, was had to be my life. I was. I won't go into a long, long story about it, but I was severely abused as a child, physically abused as a child, beat, and it caused me to have this attitude of, I'm going to take care of me. Lynn's going to take care of me because I don't trust anybody else. People are supposed to love you, don't love you, and, and not going to take care of you. So I didn't trust anybody. I was run away at 12, living, living in the streets down downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma. And during that time of being there, I learned that I couldn't Lone Ranger. At 12 years old, living in the streets, it's kind of hard to do things by yourself. I had to have crew. <laughs> had to have some people. Well, pretty quick, I got met other people that were runaways. But the experience that I went into that, that I know we're short on time, I won't go too far away, but it, that really taught me that I really did have a close-knit family. I had, I had a crew. I had people I could rely on them, they could rely on me. 
I was in a situation, because of time, I'm not going to describe the whole thing, but I was in a situation where a guy pulled a gun out, pointed it right in my face. Said, I'm going to blow your blank and blank brains out. Never saw a guy in my life, didn't know who he was. <laughs> Still to this day, I don't know why he was doing what he was doing. But my reaction, I grabbed his gun and jerked on it. I won't tell you what I did next with the knife in my pocket, but his gun went off and I shot in the leg. These guys, this other guy, ended up on the ground. But these guys rather around me. Took me to an old guy they called Doc. I don't know if he's a real doctor or not, but just a guy in the neighborhood that took me to an old black man and took me into a back room and patched me up. But these guys rather around protected me and I'd never had that happen. Nobody had ever protected me. I'd always had to take care of myself. These guys, well, when all of a sudden I couldn't, I couldn't run, I couldn't do anything, pick me up and carry me to someone to take care of me. Can't long ranger it in this because the enemy that we're fighting, I don't know if y'all know this or not, is a whole lot tougher than some dude with a gun in your face. That's right. Whole lot tougher. Do damage to your friends that you ain't even seen. Guys, you're going to start to see it. <coughs> a whole lot of them has had a whole lot worse done to them in their life than it's been done to me. Than it's been done to you. And they got demons all over. And it's our job to fight them off. Crew. Work together, not Lone Ranger. And when we give you this advice from our chronological standpoint, experiential standpoint it's not because we don't understand it's not because we just like to energize the bunnies which we are not um, up here and, and unless you take our batteries out we don't stop um, when I was 17 I ended up in bed my senior year from a condition that I didn't know what was going on and I couldn't go to school and I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't do anything and, and I didn't know what was going on and I had to rest and if you've ever been that kind of fatigued before, it hurts. You think, okay, cool, I get to lay in the bed, I get to go to school. No, it hurts, literally, physically. And I had to get to a point where I could get up and then redefine my life on what I could and could not do. And it was brutal at 17 because all my friends, nobody at 17 is figuring out what's hiding they are all just going until they get a wall. And for most of my friends, that wasn't until almost 30. And so at 17, I was having to teach myself ways, coping strategies on how to function literally up and up and down and not end up back in the bed. And so I got real innovative and I figured out, uh, okay, if I preserve my energy here, if I preserve my energy here, if I, then I had to get a little smarter because life starts getting a little harder. And okay, well, I'm going to have these boundaries. I'm going to be able to say no to people because they're draining my energy and I can't do that because if if they drain my energy, I will be in the bed. And so I came up, I calculated all of these different ways of keeping myself well and did pretty good, did pretty good, was managing. And then at a later age, the Lord called us into ministry. <sighs> Blew the whole thing. Just like right now, every strategy I had, I was like, what? And I had to go when I had no energy, and I'm like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna crash, I'm gonna burn, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to cook dinner, I'm not gonna be able to take care of my children. I mean, I was panicking. I was in my 40s, okay, at this point. I was panicking because I, now I had this assignment and all of my former strategies, which were developed by me, were to say no to a soul. I'm sorry. Eternity is just not going to be available for you this week because I have to rest. And that did not compute in my melancholy brain. And so I was like reforming all of, of how I would do it and I oh man crash burn cry meltdown uh, uh it was terrible and I'm finally just um like just a hot mess and Lynn's like Carol you are depending on you you are developing your strategies based on what you can do you are not letting God define when 
you can be up and when you can be down. What I was doing was was going thinking, I'm using it all up, I'm using it all up, and not believing that God was providing on the very assignment that he had given me, why would he not, why would he give me an assignment that, that he knew I was going to fail at? But I wouldn't listen to him. I was like going back to my default strategies. And then when, the, when you know, season, things come in seasons, and when the time would be to rest, I wasn't resting. I was like, oh, I didn't get this done, I didn't get that done. I know I have to do this and I have to do that. And so I was losing the rest. That God was even providing. And I had to reformat the way I functioned. Do I get tired still? Do I have to stay on my feet, think about things? Yes, but I do it with Him. I do it with Him. And when I'm called beyond what I think I can do, I'm like, okay, well, then you got to be there. And that's the best place in the world to be. If you want to overcome tired, that's the place to find it. What she's talking about is reframing. We have we have to learn to reframe. It's something I have to teach young college guys that we're training all the time is how to reframe situations. Because I see some of the silliest things and then I laugh at it, you know. Uh, but then I remember I did the same thing. I found myself in line as a campus minister, waiting in line at Universal Studios with 35 college kids to go in and have a great time at Universal Studios. And I found myself in line complaining, man, I'm so tired. Man, I, man I'm just so... Man, this, this campus ministry work is hard work. And the words have just gotten out of my mouth. I'm grabbing my back going, wait a minute. I just called going to Universal Studios work. This ain't work. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Why am I calling it work? You've got to learn to reframe what we're calling work. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. They need to start doing that. Go ahead. Okay, let's open up to 2 Corinthians 4. Because we're going to run through that text right there to give you guys some really practical hopefully um, train of thought that you can pull in one place in scripture okay when you are struggling you are tired and you are battling worldly tired versus godly tired okay it's a real thing okay but we're called to be different so we want to know how we want to take God's advice on how to exhibit godly tiredness Okay, it's normal. Happened to Jesus. Okay, how did he do it? Okay, in verse... I'm just taking a verse at a time because we're way... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4. Go ahead. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God is from God and not from us. Okay? You are supposed to be a jar of clay. <laughs> you are not supposed to be a jar clay producer. You are so you were made to be a jar of clay. If you're familiar with a, a, a wheel, it's very vulnerable when it's when it's being molded. Okay? One wrong and it out it goes, okay? Um, there are there are molding seasons of your life. And there's times that, you know, something happens and it, you know, we go on the bowl is all wonky, okay? Or it has, you got to start over, <laughs> okay? you got to start from the beginning again. There are seasons, but you are a jar of clay. God is the potter, not you. And when we embrace that, the kind of tire that you experience is going to be godly. Um, when a jar when a jar hardens and you drop it on the ground, it breaks. There are seasons of brokenness. You are a jar of clay, and jars can be broken. And it's all through Scripture. Okay, God knows this. He's ready for it. He has a plan for brokenness, and that's how you will become godly tired instead of worldly tired. Look at verse eight. Talks about the struggle we're involved in. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despaired. Look at verse 9. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's the condition we, as the family of God, are in. You see that? That's the condition we are in. We are hard pressed, but 
But we are not destroyed. It's right there in front of you guys. We're crushed. But are you getting it? I'm tired. But not destroyed. Are you getting it? It's okay to have all these things that we are, because we are. We are in despair. We are. We are in a real fight. We're in a fight with the evil one. It's real. And we are, we do get tired. But a godly tired has the, I don't like to say it that way, has the butt in it. <laughs> I'm tired, but I'm not destroyed. You knock me down, but you ain't knocking me out. That's right. I'm tired, but I ain't destroyed. You get it? Have I got the third one? Yes. Third one in verse 10 through 12, revealing Jesus' death in our bodies. Sorry, I'm having this is a little bit of print. <laughs> we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the body of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Christ's sake. Why? So that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. Why? So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Death is at work. We're constantly wasting away. That's why we're in despair. That's why all these other things are going on in our lives that make us tired, right? We're constantly there, but what? There's a purpose for it. And what's the purpose? We're wasting away. Are you reading it? Anybody? Anybody reading it? What's the last part? So that. So, so then, that. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. Whose life? Christ's life. Christ's life. It's Christ's life that's supposed to shine through us, not ours. And that's kind of why it's, it's our weakness that needs to shine out. It's through our weakness that he works the best. Is it not? Who's going to stand up here normally and talk to you guys about being abused? That's not normal. You go to your conferences, these normally raw raw conferences, they're not going to stand up and talk to you about that. They're not going to get real with you and think what happened in their life. They're going to stand up here and talk to you about the flowers. But the reality is, sometimes your people have been abused. I'm going down, but I ain't destroyed. I'm still in the fight. And so are you. Whether you want to be or not, you are. <laughs> and you can't get out of it. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inner, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. <clears throat> Francis Chan. You want, you want me to do it? Yes. Okay. Quickly. Time. Okay. Francis Chan, I think his story at the Tulsa Workshop explains this the best, and i got to do it fast because we're running out of time. Basically, Francis, I don't know if you know Francis Chan. Google him. Go listen, listen to some of his stuff. You'll love him. He's at the Tulsa Workshop a couple years back, and he stands up and tells the story of having gone to Africa and what he saw, what it did to him, and how it affected him. He came back, told his wife, said, I'm convicted. I know you ain't going to like this, but this big house we have, we need something. Give more money to the poor. And he tells the story in such a way that, that it's real impressive. I wish I had time to go into the whole story, but basically he gets through it, and they did. They sold their house. And when he tells the story to other people, they're like, weren't you afraid um, you'd starve to death? Selling your home and giving all of it away and giving everything to the poor? Don't you have to take the responsibility to take care of ourselves? Weren't you afraid you'd starve to death? And he said, really? I live in San Francisco, California. There's a food bank on every corner. I'm never starved. There's no way I'd starve. They, wouldn't, they won't let you starve in San Francisco. It ain't going to happen. He said, but let's just say it did. I starved to death and I stand before God. I was having starved to death and giving everything away. I took you too literally. Oops. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Jump back to verse 13. 
It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. This verse we call spiritual CPR. Okay? If you are breathing in the truth of Christ, there is no choice except to speak him out. You inhale, you exhale. Or you don't inhale again. Okay? That's what your physical body does. This is what your spiritual body does. You breathe in that truth, you have to exhale it out. And so if you are believing, you are speaking. And if you are speaking, then you have to keep on breathing him in. And you have a beautiful cycle going on. But it means, look at yourself. Are you speaking? If you aren't speaking, you're probably fatigued. And you're probably wondering why. But if you are breathing and speaking the truth of Christ, you will be tired. I, I will be tired after today. I've been speaking. But I will be revived. And I will breathe in some more truth. And then I will speak again. And that that is what is godly tiredness looks like. Now move to Hebrews 4. I'm going to give you four final things. I know we're almost done. I mean, I know y'all are ready for us to almost be done. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Hebrews 4, because now we're going to define what godly rest looks like. If God says it's normal for us to be tired in so many ways, then what does he say about rest? Okay. 4.9. I'll read it and you can jump on it. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Okay, in that Old Testament, Sabbath meant take the day off. Stop working. Okay? In that culture back then, if you did not work, you did not eat. This was not like, woohoo, Saturday, Sunday, here we come. Okay? That's not what was going on here. They were like, what? Stop working? Are you crazy? You know, and we're going to look like Noah with the ark. We're going to be these awed-out people who just, you know, all of a sudden take a day and stop working. Why would God do that? Why would God? Because, oh, my people are exhausted, and they need the weekend, and i got to let them rest. No. When a culture did not work on a day, and they didn't starve, they were sustained, he got them. He got the glory, and they became different. So the rest, godly rest for us means that we stop carrying our load all by ourselves. We join with our Father in this family, and we do it in tandem. We do it together. We say, this is what you call me to do. I don't know how to do it. And there is rest in that. Yep. There's not failure in that. There is rest in that. And that's what that verse is talking about. Jump to verse 11. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Okay. There's an oxymoron in that scripture. Make effort to rest. <laughs> Whoa, wait. You just said stop working. Okay. There is something to do. It's just not what we typically call work. It's not, okay, thank you for the assignment, God. I'm off, and I'll figure it out on my feet. That's not God's plan, okay? And it takes effort, real hard effort, to every single step of the way, say, don't go over there. Don't go over there. Don't go over there. Stay with me. This is hard. Help me carry this. I'm not talking about being wimpish. We're talking about being dependent. And we're talking about being surrendered. And this is how God planned it. And if we don't access it, we're fatigued and not unrested. Jump down to verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. 
you were to cross-reference over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you'd read the whole thing about it is when we are weak that He is strong. We've got it backwards. We think our weaknesses are bad. That's us. We look at our human frailties and our human weaknesses and we think those are bad. We've got it confused. But it's when I am weak that He is strong. So when I go out and get in the battle, I need to pull my sword and be strong. Right? No. I need to pull my sword out and hit my knees and pray. Be weak. It's in that moment of weakness that He is strong. It's when I give up control and He takes over that that sword is affected. Because I ain't affected with it. He is. When He's working, His Word never comes back empty. 16. Verse 16. Let us then, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time, in our time of need. We've even got that backwards. We think when we approach a king, what are we supposed to do? When you approach a king, what are you supposed to do? Do you ever watch any history? Do you ever watch any TV? I know some of you don't like history. When you approach a king, what are you supposed to do? Bow down. I've read stories with the king of France. Uh, king, I think it's king of France. You weren't allowed to ever have eye contact with him. You approach the throne. His valley had to speak. You never allowed to look, and he was not allowed to see your back. You're supposed to back away from him this way. And when you got out the door, then you could turn around and walk they had all these rules in place in them. We think when we approach a king, we're supposed to approach him in such reverence of their mightiness. And their we have a king that's different. How, what's the difference did you read there? We can approach him with confidence. Man, he just got through talking about it in there. Did you hear it? We ain't got a king that's going, you grovel before me to speak to me. Don't you dare speak. No, we walk in and say, Pops, what's up? Because that's who he is. He wants to be with us. He loves it. He's one of us. Did you get that? He's one of us. You don't have to approach him with a properness. You probably will in the future. First time we see him, when John saw him, fell on his face as if he was dead. But what Jesus said, he fell on his face as if he was dead. Man, get up. Yeah. It's me, Jesus. You ever look at it that way? John fell on his face as if he was dead. John said that he was the apostle Jesus loved. Why did he fall on his face as if he was dead? The parents scared him. That's all. And Jesus said, get up, man. Just get up. Let's hang. What's up? <laughs> From his point of view, it ain't this whole reverence thing that we've got crossed. We can approach the throne with confidence. Sorry. Are you doing that? Are you taking advantage of the rest that God has in mind for you? Examine those four things. See which one you're you're leaving out, missing out on. Uh, Hebrews 11:6 says, "He comes. If you come to Him, you must believe that He is who He is." Are you doing that? Do you say, do you talk to him in some abstract, functory way, not even grasping who you are having conversation with, what he has done for you? It is said that kings always ask their people to die for them, but we have a king who died for us. There you go. We, we stand before someone who isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. And he says, come to me and believe that I am a rewarder. I don't know what your definition of reward is, but we can go places with that word. But I don't think we are. I think we're, I think you think it's God's giving us sharp sticks in the eye, okay? And then wondering why we're fatigued, okay? God is a rewarder, and he has in mind all such wonderful things. That, that there's no way we can wrap our mind around it until we just launch out 
until we stop losing heart, and we start getting brave, and we start calling upon the one who has done it all for us. Okay? Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is how you're going to keep from being burned out.